Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 20 and verse 9 to 19. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. So we continue in our series entitled Parables Jesus Told, where we're looking at those parables, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point within Luke's gospel. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 20 and verses 9 to 19, where Jesus tells the parable about the good vineyard owner. This parable is often referred to as the parable of the wicked tenants, But it's more about the goodness of the owner than it is about the wickedness of the tenants, as we will see. But in order to understand this parable, we need to understand the context and the background. You will remember how Jesus has been traveling, ever since chapter 9, Jesus has been traveling to Jerusalem. And it's while he's on the road towards Jerusalem that he has been telling most of his parables. But now he's finally arrived in Jerusalem and he's been welcomed as a king, a humble king riding on a donkey. And the first place he goes to when he arrives in Jerusalem is the temple, that massive temple complex. And as he walks into the temple complex, he suddenly notices how corrupt the whole place has become. There are even, even money changers and dove sellers in the middle of the temple complex. And Jesus just seems to lose it. He starts turning over the money table, the tables of the money changers and the dove sellers, and he brings all religious activities to a halt. He stops, the whole temple comes to a standstill for a day. Why does he do that? Well, he's angry at the commercialization of the temple business. The religious leaders are getting rich through the temple business, and they're even exploiting the poor and the widows. 
But more than that, the temple was a sign and a symbol of God's presence with Israel on earth for all people to enjoy. That was its purpose. It was a place where all people from all nations could come and could access the very presence of God and have an encounter with God. But the religious leaders were excluding the non-Jews. They were preventing the non-Jews from gaining access to the very presence of God. They were hogging the blessing for themselves. And so Jesus, like an Old Testament prophet, dramatically enacts God's judgment on the religious leaders and the temple. And the religious leaders, they totally get it. Because we're told that after Jesus bust up the temple, they began to plot to kill Jesus. But they were unable to kill Jesus because Jesus was simply too popular with the people. So they came up to Jesus, and in Luke chapter 20 and verse 2, we read that they came up to Jesus and said, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? And, and Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, doesn't answer the question directly, but rather asks them a counter question about John the Baptist. And then he does go on to answer the question, albeit indirectly. He answers the question, who gave you this authority, by telling this parable. This parable about the good vineyard owner. And this parable that Jesus tells is very similar to the parable that the prophet Isaiah told about 700 years prior in Isaiah chapter 5. Within that parable, the vineyard represented Israel and the owner represents God. And because the vineyard wasn't being fruitful, God removed the barrier, the protection, so the invaders, the Assyrian army, would come and destroy it. So the parable was about impending judgment. Because Israel had turned their back on God, they weren't being fruitful. The natural consequences were, was that they were going to be judged. And so it's a warning. It's a warning to Israel to turn back to God before it's too late. So a parable about a vineyard and an owner would have been very familiar to the original hearers. And Jesus takes his very familiar concepts and he expands on them. So he introduces a new character. The vineyard is still Israel. The owner is still God. But he introduces the character of the tenant farmers who represent the religious leaders, those corrupt religious leaders who are challenging Jesus. Okay, so let's look at the parable itself. In verse 9 we read, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. Now that was quite common practice in those days. The wealthy landowners often lived some distance from their estates, and they would rent out their estates to some poorer farmers to work it. But take note that this man doesn't only own the land, he actually planted the vineyard. It is his vineyard. And this is a, a great picture for God. 
God is the creator of all things. God owns all things. And then God gives us responsibility to look after everything on His behalf. And then God moves away to give us space and freedom to look after everything on His behalf in our own way. And then we read in verse 10. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. In those days, you very rarely paid rent in money, in shekels. You would pay your rent in produce, a percentage of the grapes harvest. And so he sent a servant to collect the rent that is due to him, his rightful rent. This is what's due to him. And we read at the end of verse 10, But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Okay, so the land has been very fruitful. It's produced this bumper crop. It's turning over a great profit. What do they do? Well, they don't pay their rent. They don't give the owner what is due to him, but rather they become selfish and greedy. They want it all for themselves. And they start acting as if they are owners and not renters. God has given responsibility to these religious leaders to look after the temple, to look after God's blessing, and to share God's blessing with all people. But they too had become greedy and selfish. They were hogging the blessing for themselves. They were lining their pockets through the temple business. They were exploiting the poor, and they were excluding the non-Jews. They started acting as if they owned God's blessing rather than being renters. We sometimes have the same attitude. We say, this is my life. This is my possessions. These are my stuff, my money, mine. I don't owe God anything. I don't owe other people anything. And so we don't give God anything. We don't give other people anything. In fact, we don't give at all. We keep it all for ourselves. We start acting as though we are owners rather than renters. How is the owner going to respond? Well, we read in verse 11 he sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully. And he sent away and sent away empty-handed. He sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. The way the owner responds is by continuing to keep sending more and more servants. And his servants all get beaten and sent away empty-handed. In fact, the way they get treated is progressively worse each time. The first is beaten, the second is beaten and treated shamefully. Within a Middle Eastern culture, personal honor is of extremely high importance. Being treated shamefully is worse than being beaten. And the third is wounded. Now that must be seriously wounded because it's worse than being beaten. And this owner just keeps sending them. Now the servants in this parable represent the prophets. God keeps sending the prophets again and again to the leaders of Israel. We read this in the Old Testament. He keeps sending the prophets. And the leaders of Israel keep 
treating the prophets, frequently treat, mistreat the prophets, and even sometimes murder them. Now imagine this is you. Imagine you own a house and you rent it out. And then you send someone to go there and collect the rent. They knock on the door. They ask for the rent. And the guy gets beaten up. He comes back to you. You see him. His hair's all a mess. He's got a black eye. And you think, hmm, didn't, didn't seem to go really well, did it? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send another servant. Now, if you're a servant, that's probably a good day to call in sick. Next, and off he sends. Off he goes, same thing, knocks on the door, and he too gets assaulted. Now, if that was you, at that point, what would you do? I would call the police. Or at the very least, I would be on the phone to a solicitor. I would not let them get away with this. Would you? No, you're not going to let them get away with this. What does this owner do? He sends another servant. I mean, he is being incredibly patient with his tenants. He keeps sending servants, and they keep getting beaten up. Now, this owner has the right to contact the authorities to send in a heavily armored troop into his vineyard to arrest those men and to bring them to justice. He has that right. In fact, within that culture, he's honor-bound to do so. To mistreat one of his servants, to treat one of his servants shamefully, is not only to insult his servant, but it's to insult himself, to insult him personally. He is honor-bound to defend his own honor, and he's honor-bound to defend the honor of his servants who have been treated shamefully. And so it is expected... And all the original hearers would be expecting this. It is expected that he would retaliate, that he would seek justice in order to defend his honor and the honor of his servants. That's what's expected. But we read in verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? You get the feeling that there was a long, painful pause there. What shall I do? I know. I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. What? Really? You're going to send your son? This is the most shocking thing in the whole parable. All the original hearers would have gasped when they heard that. This is the most shocking and surprising thing in the parable. This is the climax of the parable. This is not the end of the story. This is not the conclusion of the story. But this is the climax of the story. The most shocking thing. And this is the point of the whole parable. That the vineyard owner, although he has the right and the power to seek justice, decides to send his son in total vulnerability Knowing the risk, his other servants have been beaten up, knowing the risk, but in the hope that he would win his, his people back to himself. There's a, a story about the late king of Jordan, King Hussein. And the story goes that in the early 
1980s, the secret police came to the king and told him that right at this very moment, that very night, there was a group of about 75 army officers in a nearby barracks that were plotting to overthrow the kingdom and the government and to install a military dictator. The secret police were asking for permission to surround that barracks and storm in and arrest all of those plotters. After a long moment of thought, somber thought, the king refused their request and asked for a helicopter. And then the king got into the helicopter with himself and one pilot and they flew to that barracks. They landed on the flat roof on the top of the barracks and the king said to the pilot, if you hear gunshots, fly away without me. And he got out of that helicopter unarmed and alone, walked down two flights of stairs and into the meeting room of all those plotters and said, Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that you are in the final process of plotting to overthrow the government and install a military dictator. If you proceed with this, the army will break up. The country will be plunged into a civil war. Tens of thousands of innocent people would die. This is not necessary. Here I am. Kill me and proceed. In this way, only one man has to die. After stunned silence, all of those plotters rushed towards the king and kissed his hand and feet and declared loyalty to him for life. King Hussein opted for total vulnerability in the hope that in his presence he would bring shame upon them, that he would kindle a sense of honor within them to do the right thing. And that's exactly what God does. God comes in total vulnerability, total self-emptying love, in the hope that perhaps they will respect Him. Now, respect is too soft of a word. It's inadequate. What's going on here is far more profound than respect. What the idea is that they would be, feel the shame in his presence. That they would feel sh- shameful for what they had done. And that it would kindle a sense of honor within them to do the right thing. And it's implied in the story that if they were to receive the Son as the true Son, if they were to respect that Son, if they were to pay their rent to that Son, then they would have been forgiven. And they would have been restored to a right relationship with the owner. And effectively, effectively over here, Jesus is answering their question. On whose authority are you doing that? And he is claiming, I am the Son. I am the Son of God who comes to you in total vulnerability. And if you receive me, you will be forgiven and restored into a right relationship with the owner. He's saying, I am the Son. 
I am the Son of God and I do everything on His behalf and I have His authority. And so the question is, how are they going to respond to the Son who comes in total vulnerability? Well, we read in verse 14, But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. They killed him because they wanted it all for themselves. They believed if they killed the heir, squatter rights would apply. See, within Jewish oral law, if the owner of a land died, whoever gains possession of the land for three years could be entitled to ownership. And they want to own it all. They want it all for themselves. They were acting as if they were owners rather than renters. And what we discover over here is that the depth of human sin knows no bounds. Not only do they refuse to give the owner his rent, but they try to claim ownership of the whole vineyard. And when his son comes in total vulnerability, they murder him. And over here, Jesus is revealing to those religious leaders that he knows their plot to kill him. He's aware of it. But he still comes in total vulnerability. Now the question is, and we read in verse 15, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? That's the question. What will he do? What more can he do? He's been sending prophets after prophet after prophet until it gets so bad that he eventually sends his own son, whom he loves, in total vulnerability. What more can he do than that? There's nothing more he can do but judge them. And the answer comes in verse 16. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to, other, to others. You see, when those, when those religious leaders reject Jesus, they're rejecting the Son of God. They're rejecting God Himself. And the consequences of that, the ultimate consequences of that, is judgment. And in AD 70, the Romans invaded, they destroyed the temple, and the vineyard was given to others. And it's the same for us. If we continue to reject Jesus, then ultimately one day there will be judgment. And this is how the parable ends. Two big issues sort of were raised to me as I was preparing this. Two questions are we sharing the blessing and are we changing our behavior? Are we sharing the blessing? Let's just think for a moment, what is there in our life that belongs to God? What in your life belongs to God? Everything. Everything is a gift from God. Your money, your possessions, your family, your life, everything is a gift from God. And are you, and am I, are we trying to hold on to our stuff and our possessions as if they're ours, as if we're the owners? 
You see, Jesus came in total vulnerability to, for us to feel shame in his presence. So that it would kindle within us a sense of to do the right thing and to willingly and joyfully pay our rent. See, we're just tenants. It's not our vineyard. It's not our planet. It's not our possessions. It's not our house. It's not our life. It's all here. So we have to use everything. We have to share everything. We have to share God's blessing with everyone. And that includes the gospel. Telling people about the, the, the joy of being in a relationship with God. Sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. We can't be like those religious leaders and try to hog God's blessing for ourselves. We've got to share God's blessing with everyone. And are we changing our behavior? Now that we know God, are we changing our behavior? You see, this parable is all about the love and the grace of God. But that doesn't mean judgment evaporates completely. God will go to the nth degree to show His love to you. Jesus came because He loves you and He wants to save you from yourself. From our own corrupted sense of entitlement and greed. Yet do we hang on to those old behaviors? like the tenant farmers, refusing to be generous with our money, with our life, and with our behavior, thinking it's all ours, wanting to be owners rather than renters. We need to realize everything is God. We are merely tenants. Do we live as though God is the owner? Can people see God in your life? So are we sharing the blessing and are we changing our behavior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's so easy to slip into a tenant-farmer attitude. And Father, we so often do think it's, it's... it's my life, it's my stuff, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. I don't owe anyone anything. I don't owe you anything. I don't owe other people anything. Father, help us to realize that we are just renters. That you're the owner. And we're just looking after things on your behalf. And Father, we pray that we would be good stewards. That we would willingly and gladly pay our rent. That we will share everything, use everything the way you would want us to. But Father, we confess we get it wrong. We pray, please forgive us. And Father, we thank you that you come to us. You don't give up on us. You keep sending your messengers. You eventually send your son in total vulnerability. And Father, we pray that as we reflect on that and meditate on that, that it would, that we would feel shame in your presence, that it would kindle a sense of honor to do the right thing in response to your great love for us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.